It's time now for Illinois Innovators, spotlighting the leaders in research, technology, and entrepreneurship from the engineering at Illinois community. Welcome to another edition of Illinois Innovators. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. On today's program, we chat with David Forsyth, the Fulton Watson Cop Chair in Computer Science at the University of Illinois. Professor Forsyth's lab studies computer vision and machine learning. He just completed teaching a course on autonomous vehicle, CS598. Uh, his team has developed a relationship with autonomous stuff from Morton, Illinois, and recently used student-written software for object detection in an autonomous stuff vehicle. Uh, Professor Forsyth, welcome to the program. Thank you. So talk a little bit about uh, this course, um, and uh, I think the thing that I find really intriguing is uh, the software was was student written, and so I think that's pretty impressive. Yeah, the, the course was an impulse. Um, Bobby Hambrick of Autonomous Stuff visited campus in December last year and gave a wonderful talk about what Autonomous Stuff is doing. What they do is assemble research platforms for autonomous vehicles. Uh, they sell them all over the world, as far as I know. Uh, um, they are moving into developing their own detailed products and services, and they've been releasing a variety of products. And I thought, gee, this is cool. It's extremely cool to have this sort of stuff going on very nearby. Uh, it would be nice for us to develop a relationship. By far the easiest way to do it is to get a bunch of students to mess around with their equipment and see what happened. And I suggested to Bobby that we could offer a 598. That's a course number that the department keeps up its sleeve for, gee, it seemed like a good idea, and let's see what <laughs> happens. And very fortunately, he was able to do that. And I listed the course and circulated among students I knew, and we got, uh, I don't know, we got about 35 people. Um, we did a mixture of some lectures on technologies, uh, a bunch of paper reading, and the, the really exciting stuff was building projects that ran on an autonomous stuff vehicle. So uh, it turns out that these days one doesn't just write one's own software so much as snaffle together bits and pieces of other people's software with a little bit of your own stuff. Everything is a mashup. Uh, what that means is motivated and creative students can move very fast to having demonstrations of one form or another. And, and some of the demonstrations we did, I thought, were wonderful and very impressive. Uh, we had, for example, a project that was able to, well, it used a variety of standard technologies, including YOLO, to detect objects. And then on top of it, there was various clever variations. So one group was able to predict the distance to a stop sign from a picture of the stop sign. Then it could detect the stop sign in the video from the car and it would stop the car in the right place. Now, this sounds easier than it is. And the reason it's harder than it sounds is in one picture, it's difficult to tell how far away the stop sign is unless you know a whole bunch of geometry and a whole bunch of other stuff. If you've got two pictures, you can use stereo. Another student group uh, built a pedestrian detector using YOLO and other technologies and then connected it to the brakes of this autonomous car so that you could, so that the car would brake autonomously if somebody walked in front of it. 
uh, we had great fun testing that, and I, uh, one of the tests we did was I put a traffic cone on my head and stepped in front of the car, and it still stopped. Uh, um, another group built a procedure that would look at uh, LiDAR information and break the car based on LiDAR, and we have some wonderful videos of, again, me, because, you know, they wrote the program, so I'm kind of the guinea pig. They're sitting in the car desperately fiddling with the um, keyboards to make sure that the programs are running. The car drives up to just in front of me and then brakes automatically. And if I step out of the way, uh, uh, the car drives on. And what's particularly fun about the video is Joe Buckner, who was the manager at Autonomous Stuff who brought the car over and worked with the students, is waving his hands out of the window rather than using them to drive the car. Uh, Another project investigated, there's an idea in computer vision right now known as a, an adversarial example. It turns out all of our procedures for detecting and recognizing things use deep networks. And deep networks work really well, but we don't understand them terribly well. And one thing about a deep network, which most people don't know, but turns out to be true, is if you mess around very slightly with an image that you show to a deep network, it will misclassify it severely. So there are a whole bunch of neat examples where the image looks like a panda bear. You change a couple of hundred pixels in the image and the thing suddenly decides it's a seal. Now that presents really serious practical problems to autonomous cars because it opens the possibility of the following piece of mischief which is you get a template uh, and a spray can. You hold the spray can up, uh, sorry, you hold the template up in front of a stop sign. You spray spray paint on the stop sign and all autonomous motor cars think that the stop sign reads go faster right now, <laughs> right? That would be a problem. That would be. It would be a very serious problem. So we had a group that investigated that problem and demonstrated that there were a series of practical reasons why you couldn't actually build one which is rather fun. I've just had a paper published on this topic. Um, we've had, let me see. Uh, you probably want to cut while I um, uh, run through in my head right. the other projects. Sorry, the, the, I'm trying to list the high visibility projects and I think that's it. Somebody's going to be cross with me, but I don't think it matters. Yeah, I've given you a list of projects. Okay. So your background is in computer vision. At, um, did you see yourself working in the uh, autonomous vehicle space at some point, or, or how, did, how did you get involved well, my, in that? I, uh, um, as an old guy, my background is in computer vision from the early 80s, and back then nothing worked. So attaching it to motor cars was fairly obviously a silly thing to do. Um, over the last... Oops. 15 years or so, there have been absolute revolutions in computer vision. We can solve uh, a lot of problems that were just unsolvable 30 years ago. We are very, very good at detecting objects in images. We're very good at detecting objects in video. We're very good at classifying images. We're very good at classifying video. What that means is we can start asking questions about can we use those as tools. Um, a natural tool is a pedestrian detector, right? What you'd like to do is to look at the video coming into the car and say, uh, there's a pedestrian and now do what you think best about it. 
uh, now we can do that. We couldn't do that 30 years ago. So no, 30 years ago, I didn't think anybody would be working on this, but I don't think anybody else did either. <laughs> so autonomous stuff obviously thought enough about what you could do for them that they that you were able to, to make a, uh, have a relationship with them. Just talk about what they hope to get out of, um, of uh, what you have to offer them. Wow. Um, what does autonomous stuff hope to get out of this relationship? You know, I, I, I don't usually think that way. I just enjoy it while people are willing to engage. Um, I think there are natural good things that could happen as a result of this relationship. One of them is Illinois has immensely strong students. Uh, very often when they're looking for internships or other things, they tend to look on one or another coast. None of our students knew that there was this cool stuff going on 30 miles away, and we've had students go there and serve as interns. Um, Autonomous stuff is growing very fast. They have now uh, tremendous exposure because I believe our students had a fantastic time with this thing. They have tremendous exposure in a group of very talented students. That should be good for them. Uh, I'm hoping that some of the technologies that people put together in the class are going to help them in their own in autonomous stuff in their own internal development processes, either as proof of concept or guidelines or whatever. But you know, really, uh, do I know for sure what they got out of it? Um, no, I'm just glad they <laughs> were involved and it was wonderful. So, um, as you look at it, and, and people are, I'm sure, curious as to how close are we to having autonomous vehicles as regular uh, parts of our uh, traffic. Um, from, a, from a computer vision standpoint, what does the technology look like and um, you know, how quickly is it developing? Um, the technology is right now, so it used to be the case that in computer vision you could forget everything you learned five years ago. Now you can forget everything you learned two years ago, which is very disturbing. Uh, uh, things are changing extremely fast. The technologies are improving extremely fast. They're getting very, very powerful. I doubt... So the question you asked me is one of the biggest internal fights in technology and money communities. Anybody who knew the answer to that question for sure could make a great deal of money out of it. So, you know, um, I doubt we will see large numbers of entirely autonomous vehicles anytime soon. I think what we are going to see is cars that are better and safer and easier to drive and not a whole hell of a lot more expensive because of neat little add-ons like, um, I don't know, when I first started driving, when you reversed, you had to look into your mirror or at least listen for a bang or a shout or something. Mm-hmm. Now there's a funny little screen on the uh, dashboard which shows you what's happening behind you. I think we're going to see a ton of little technologies like that. The, something that will say, gee, there's a pedestrian you didn't notice. Or something that will just take over on the boring bits on the freeway. Or something that will help you regulate your speed more effectively. Those kind of things I think we're going to see. A situation where all the motor cars do everything for themselves seems implausible to me, but we shall see. Among other things, if that happens, there is going to be huge economic consequences because 
a very large number of people are going to lose jobs, and that will create uh, some upheavals. Mm-hmm. All those truck drivers out there are not really going to be all that happy about being replaced by computers, and they're not going to retrain as programmers. So, you know, there's interesting things that are going to happen ahead. My guess is actually we're just going to see better motor cars, which would be wonderful. Cars that can talk to one another. Obviously, if you see, if, if it knows the car is coming down to an intersection and neither car is slowing down, for instance, something has to give at that intersection. Yeah, I, you know, what is the what is the most important thing you could do to reduce human mortality from motor cars? It's an interesting thought. I'm not sure cars that chat to each other are the thing. Cars that don't squash pedestrians, very important. Cars that discourage drunken drivers from driving, very important. Cars that are good at spotting drunken pedestrians. One of the larger causes of mortality involving motor cars is pedestrians who are going home hammered and get clobbered by cars as well. Uh, All those little corner cases, if you could knock uh, 10% off mortality here and 10% off mortality there, you could reduce one of the biggest single sources of death amongst people in this country. You know, motor cars are dangerous. They kill people. Right. Uh, um, what are the technologies? I'm not sure. Probably better detection technologies, better avoidance technologies, better driver control technologies, um, technologies that can spot when drivers are inattentive, technologies that can spot when drivers are impaired and discourage that sort of thing. Those would have a very significant impact. So back to your class, um, I think you mentioned somewhere between 30 and 35 students in the class. What, um, what, what was their feedback uh, in, in the experience in, in working on this project? Um, I believe the students enjoyed themselves. Um, I... I have a stack of ISIS forms on my desk that I haven't had the courage to read yet, so I can't tell you about those. Uh, the informal feedback I got was sort of what I expected, which is, A, it's disorganized, but B, it's fun. Why is it disorganized? Because we did it at the last moment and we didn't know we were doing it, or I didn't know I was doing it, and I wasn't sure what the syllabus was going to be. Uh, why was it fun? Well, because it's really, really neat to see your program running on a couple of tons of metal zipping down a uh, uh, test track. So, which is sort of, that's the kind of feedback you would expect. Um, I think I, I want to uh, make a call out to uh, students on campus involved in other kinds of autonomous vehicles. So, uh, a bigger impact on our class was made by a group of students who are involved in an autonomous submarine competition. That, uh, currently led by Shubanka Agarwal, uh, they're trying to put together a student-built and controlled submarine for the annual O&R Autonomous Submarine Competition in San Diego. Uh, A variety of sponsors have been very helpful to them as well. So the relationship going forward with autonomous stuff, um, how do you see that? How do you see that going and and can this uh, partnership be expanded? Um, Well, so I would love to expand it. Uh, I hope they'd love to expand it. I would love to offer this class again and again. Uh, I think we have to realize that it took tremendous resources from them. They're a very, very busy company indeed, and for them to 
uh, send people and cars over here for several days at a time was a really impressive commitment, hoping that we can weasel our way back onto their calendar to offer the class again and that they've found the students uh, uh, um, helpful. We'll, we'll see as it develops. It's sort of early days, but I think the relationship is so natural for engineering at Illinois to be connected to autonomous stuff that it's going to happen. You know, even if I've stepped on toes, which I don't think I have, <laughs> it just has to happen. It's, right. it's good for all of us. Well, I think I asked earlier about computer vision and its role in autonomous vehicles, and, and uh, it sounds like it's a huge role. So um, from a research standpoint and an interdisciplinary standpoint, are there other groups, uh, you mentioned one on campus, that you could collaborate with to sort of expand um, this last semester's research? Um, other groups on campus? Yeah, there's some uh, a fair amount of work being done on autonomous flight vehicles of one form or another. Uh, Tim Brettel and colleagues, I think there's work on control of agricultural vehicles. I'm trying to remember the name of the person involved and it's slipping my mind. Um, there, generally there's a fair amount of interest in autonomy one way or another. I hadn't really reflected on those questions. You know, we, we went together, held a course, did our thing, and then I went on vacation and I just <laughs> got back. So um, it's difficult for me to give you a really crisp answer to that one. I think autonomy, or at least being real, building systems that support people by being really good at tasks that people find boring, is a big deal in engineering in general. So I have had conversations with large aircraft manufacturers about how you might make life easier for people on airplanes who had to do boring tasks. Um, what pilots do most of the time is look out the window, and most of the time there's not much there. It's just when there is something there, it's, it's exciting. Right. right. What, what, what you'd like to do is help them. Um, that's roughly the same problem for drivers with special cases associated with it. So I think there's just something that's on everybody's agenda. It's, it's difficult to call out special groups. They're just doing it in their own way. So you mentioned, um, we mentioned briefly a couple of the, uh, the videos that, mm -hmm. you, that you've uh, put together. One, um, just talk about what it was like to stand in front of a, a vehicle. Nobody so, was driving and, and hoping that it would stop. So, there, I, you know, I dramatized that thing as one does in two ways. One is actually uh, Joe Buckner of Autonomous Stuff was sitting in the car with his hands out the window to demonstrate it was autonomous, but his, with his foot about one millimeter over the brake. And in some of the early demonstrations, uh, he moved his foot. So we were able to sort of control the risk, but it had moments. Uh, another thing that I concealed was I made one of the student group members do it first because <laughs> I, I, I think that you know, a, a really good demonstration that your code is running is you're willing to stand in front of a ton right. and a half of speeding metal running your code. <laughs> now, uh, um, I've got one video of what it looks like when the autonomous car drives up to you about to brake on its own. And if you look at the video closely, you can see that the safety driver is just getting a little bit twitchy 
And what you can't see in the video is that the person holding the camera, that is me looking at the car, is also getting a little bit twitchy. The last sort of 20 frames or so, um, I was thinking, you know, I really hope that Joe is awake. And I'm not sure if I shouldn't just sort of jump out of the way. <laughs> uh, which I think is great. The That thing stopped closer to me than I realized was possible safely. And I did that um, running student code. And that's a fine thing. Wow. But yeah, there were twitchy moments. It, and then, and then I, um, the video that kind of caught my eye initially was the somebody driving the car, but you could see it was detecting objects and, and being able to classify them, which I, it was just obviously a, a big deal, a uh, big hurdle to, to get over in this technology as well. So one of the wonderful things about computer vision now is actually that's quite routine, right? That what was happening was students put some work into getting uh, a fairly standard detective framework called YOLO running on the car. They got that working, there were some twitches, some fiddles here and there, but basically a group of students fairly quickly can build from existing tools a detector that will run. One of the things you may not have noticed about the video it was, was it was in real time. Right. Right. The car, the, the video shows what you see with a camera looking out the front window of a car driving down Green Street and then on top of every pedestrian is a little red box that says pedestrian. And on top of all the trees is a little green. I think the trees get green boxes and the cars get yellow boxes and so on. And it just drives down and the boxes appear. Those boxes appear in real time. And that involved a little bit of work getting it to run on the car's GPU and a bunch of other stuff. Uh, that's another innovation since I started doing computer vision. When I started, nothing had GPUs. Now you can reasonably expect to find a GPU in the back of a motor car, which is uh, a, a big change. Well, I hesitate to say what's next, um, but uh, beyond this project, what, what are some of the other things that uh, are kind of related to this that, um, that you find exciting that, that are going on in your lab? Well, um, some of the projects we're doing right now may sound a little bit arcane, but actually have tremendous consequences from the perspective of computer vision. Here's one. Uh, we've been building programs that can take uh, black and white images and automatically turn them into many different color images. So the thing about colorizing a picture is, you know, you might want the refrigerator to be red or to be green or to be white or to be blue or whatever, and all the other stuff should change color as well. Uh, it turns out we can do that. There, there, it involves quite a lot of complicated technical arcana, but we can do it. Uh, we have some machinery working to figure out how to take a picture and make it look as though it had been raining very hard at the time you took the picture. Now that, you know, it doesn't really matter all that much, but it's a way to work things the other way, which matters a lot, which is take a picture when it's raining very hard and make it look as though it isn't. Right? We've got that working sort of. Uh, we're currently engaged in the following question, which is, can you use uh, online websites of collections of clothing to learn what makes things look similar or work together and what makes them look different? So most people wouldn't wear uh, stripy trousers and bright purple shirts, but they might very well wear uh, dark trousers and stripy shirts. 
why does the one thing go together and not the other? Well, right. it turns out if you look at these online collections, you can infer information about that. That reaches very deeply into... How the brain works, in, um, in, well, in some I, sense. Well, I'm always very careful about how the brain works. I believe somebody <laughs> once published a book with that title, which um, was rather a reckless thing to do. In my opinion. <laughs> uh, um, but it certainly tells us stuff about why people think some things look similar and some things look different. And we think that's very important. Um, let me see. Uh, sorry, I'm just going through in my head uh, a variety of projects. Uh, we've got ongoing projects about recognizing objects. Uh, I've got a large project starting on how you might make uh, pictures from scratch. So imagine you want a picture of a dog. The way you get it now is you look at Google Images. But what you could do is simply have some generative procedure that says, okay, well, I want a picture of a dog. And because there are lots of pictures of dogs, it just learns to make those. Why would we try and make those? Because that would allow us to train um, autonomous vehicles under very trying circumstances. So let's see, one of the big... Um, uh, procedures for controlling a thing like a, an autonomous vehicle is known as reinforcement learning. The essence of reinforcement learning is the thing sees pictures and it does what it wa wants. And every time it does something you don't like, you smack it. Right. And when it in other stops, words, you're, you're training it. Well, you're training it, but you're training it in a sort of roundabout way, right? So roughly every time it runs over a pedestrian, you deduct, deduct 100 points. And eventually it's going to figure out not to do that. Right. And the problem with that is you can't do that in practice. You can't really sort of drive cars around running over <laughs> pedestrians and then clobbering them each time they do it until they do it right. What you really want to do is present them with simulated worlds, train them in the simulated worlds, and then when they've figured it out, run them in the real world. Uh, and it turns out producing those simulated worlds requires a great deal of care and attention, and we're looking at that question now. Well... There's so much more to talk about, and uh, certainly uh, autonomous vehicles are in the news now, and they, as you said, they're evolving, the technology is evolving faster, and, and so we want to uh, keep you within arm's length uh, if we have more to talk about down the road, uh, but we appreciate you taking time out of your day to, to chat with us, and uh, look forward to uh, hearing more from you. Great. Thank you for having me. It was a great time. That concludes today's Illinois Innovators podcast. Uh, my thanks to our guest, David Forsyth, from the University of Illinois Department of Computer Science. I'm your host, Mike Kuhn. Thanks for listening. Illinois Innovators is a production of Engineering at Illinois. All rights reserved. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast through iTunes or SoundCloud by searching Engineering at Illinois.